Now I got Drake stuck in my head. What's that? What did Drake say? Oh, no, I just got, I was listening to One Dance this morning. That song's so catchy. What's One Dance? I got a One Dance. It's got that. Man, that song, like, with 2016, it came out, and it, like, changed the direction of how they were doing beats. Put all the beats on the back end instead of the front end. Switched it all up. Last time, first time I heard it, I said, We're gonna have five years of this beat now. It's so good. And we have it's starting to finally go away. Last time we talked, I think it was last time. Hold on, right? It's that laid back. Beat okay. on the he puts the beat on the back edge of the back edge of everything, and then it's more like a salsa, maybe a samba. You you um, you might have resurrected yourself from the last time we talked when you said <laughs> Taylor Swift, uh, not Taylor Swift. What no, was I'm not Taylor about? Swift. Um, yeah, it might as well have been Taylor yeah, Swift even... though. <laughs> it might as well have been Taylor Swift. Yeah. Would you straighten out my Taylor eye? Swift is talented, but she's using. She's she's misusing Megan Train. I couldn't even no no the uh, the, the whole thing. You said Megan <laughs> Train. Hey, I went back. I, I went back with my wife and we listened to that. My wife almost threw some at the television. Gotta keep turning a little more. <laughs> she's like Megan. She's like Megan Trainer. Mm. Not not in the same category as Lauren Hill or Adele. <laughs> what? I, I, I wasn't putting the, her in the same category as Lauren Hill. Yeah, you did, Jason. No, Go. I just said I just said I, that I'm liking Megan Trainer a lot right now. <laughs> Almost to pull up the show because I literally said, "Go back and listen." I literally said we were talking yeah. about Lauren You're Hill, right. Adele. I probably and- th- <laughs> I, I, it was probably because I knew exactly how to get a rise out of you. Yeah, was- okay, now you say that. Uh, I, I believe it. Um, so then let's just do it this way. If you had to go top hip hop artist right now, okay, I'll, I'll give you oh. this. I'll give you this. From the nineties, you get three, and then. 2000 and then, then you can go hip hop or r&b or what, what I, I think I, let's let's, let's stick with hip hop straight hip hop okay hip hop rappers so in the 90s tribe called quest oh okay i see what you're doing this is like 91 right you yeah, said yeah, 90s yeah, yeah i get so I, yeah go with tribe i, I get with you i agree hey. with you mm. um Man, I think what's tough is you've got you so you've got the West Coast, yeah, yeah, um, and the East Coast both. And so, how do you? I mean, and then, and then, are you rapping? Are you just saying like lyricist? Yeah. Or are you talking about like well, that's art, that's, you know? that's what that's what I'm thinking. So mm-hmm. the diff, so like I love all that G funk beats, but you don't have the same kind of lyrical outside. Of, like Snoop Dogg, you don't have the same any of the same kind of lyrical um like talent. So but because it, it was they didn't really have anything to say, the West Coast guys. The East Coast guys was you you actually had the still all the thoughtful um poetic stuff. Okay. So and that, that that's what's so hard is you got a guy because it could oh man. That's hard. You got to warn me. Something like that. Okay. I know, right? You got to think about it. You got to think about it. <laughs> you so, got to think about it. I just Googled it. It said top five hip hop artists of the 90s. Top 
of the golden age of hip hop in the nineties was filled with the brim of incredible incredible rappers. Blah blah blah. Who cares? On yeah. the West Coast, so, Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, Tupac dominated the hip hop game. Yeah, I guess I, Ice I would, Cube. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Ice Cube, he had that knack for the song that blew up. Um, he have. I think I don't think he was lyrically in the same. Who was that? Um, I, Ice Cube. He's not lyrically in the same category as Tupac or Snoop, nope, but Ice Cube nope. wrote those. He would write that song that would uh, cut through the the noise and everybody would hear um, because he was so on top of what it was going on right at the moment. You know, he ha- he has he still has that mind that can see. This is what makes him such a good businessman. He can see the moment and he knows how to capitalize. Um, so because, man, you got to put. Uh, so I put Tribe Called Quest, Public Enemy, and um, Biggie as in for the 90s. Okay. All right. So I got to go Nas. Um, it's 2000s, man. Nah, Nas was in the 90s. I mean, first album, but his his height. So, because I was gonna put him on my in my two thousands. Yeah, I I just think Nas lyrically and as a rapper was more New York underground before it was like popular. But he was so three three best rappers three best rappers of all time. Nas, Eminem, Rakim. You gave it to Eminem and Rakim. And Nas, yeah. But but two of those guys are in the. So Rakim's hard. He spans everything because I don't think you can mess with Rakim. You know, I think Rakim is yeah yeah. You can't mess with Rakim yeah. um, or Nas. But then I think I think if you don't put Eminem up there, it's just because I I I I know this is an artist, but I don't know how I cannot put Wu Tang Clan in this. I know. Because, no, that's that's tough. Because you know why? So, here's, here's why I kind of got to lay it at the feet of Wu Tang Clan because they are probably metaphysically the most slept on hip hop artists out there. They are. They have a cosmology that is oh yeah, tasteable, I, tangible, and you know what I mean. I, I don't agree with all of it, but I'm just saying, like, right for sure. Well, it's like and like. So if I was gonna say like most influential. And you don't put Wu Tang up there, then so you yeah, mean you're, culturally you're influential. I think artistically is what I was thinking, but yeah, culturally as well. Wu Tang's hugely culturally influential, um, but they they were so artistically influential. Um, you know, all I mean, because you've you've got so many different styles. Yep, and then Riz is able to like meld them all together and and create. They were like a super group that came out of nowhere, right? You, you, the, the super group that you didn't know any of them before. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, who are these? Who is this super group? <laughs> um, and that was, that was the genius. I mean, it, some of it was just the, you know, that the, the pressure of the moment from their neighborhood uh, created the kind of people that mm-hmm. it was poetry or death. Right. You, those were your options. You, you either you wrangle that you, 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 
you chain up that kind of despair and hopelessness with poetry or it destroys you. And, and um, I think that was a huge, it was a huge moment um, because of that. But then, you know, they, they were, they were guys with nothing to lose. That's the other thing. And it, and they brought, they pulled together that like comedian sensibility of the eighties or the late seventies, the eighties, that kind of Richard Pryor, um, Eddie Murphy, nothing to lose comedic sensibility. Like raw with the poetry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so, okay. So let me, um, are you so summarize what you're saying? You're saying the culture that they were in, the environment that they let me just use a better words. The environment that they were in produced poetry that was extremely human and relatable, um, because the only options were poetry or death. Yeah, right. You're either you're either chain chaining that tiger up with poetry or it eats you. You don't have options. Um and you know that that I think Wu Tang is a good example of that, and that's not. I mean, all throughout history, some of the some of the greatest poetry comes out of that. I mean, that's why war, war, and recovering from war, you know, the the the, the solution to medieval PTSD was the men got together and wrote poetry and recited it to one another. What the right? World? Because right, you so you you that and i think there you you have something similar you know you've got basically gang warfare breaking out oh my warfare has always produced great poetry because men deal with that kind of pressure by putting it to words and sharing it with one another connecting and then dissipating the rivalry i mean and i think or creating the rivalry with it too like so would you say yeah what there there's they they're dissipating within their own culture they're dissipating the rivalry there and and i think within themselves right so poetry a lot of poetry great poetry is created when you're in conflict within yourself and the poetry is the thing that takes the two sides of the conflict and gives them a language to reconcile within your so that the self you know, sin crackles our selfhood into a lot of different pieces and poetry is one of the things that be put back into unity with its you pull yourself into unity with yourself um one of the things that happens though is if without jesus you have to shift that rivalry somewhere uh-huh. right and so you shift it on to the other neighborhoods um you shift it to the west coast you know uh versus the east coast you know you shift the um you in the Middle Ages, you know, you shift it to the um, to the Spaniards, and you know, or or to the if you're in England to the fr- French, or if you're in Scotland to the English, you shift that rivalry to some other place with the poetry, and it it create it creates the possibility of peace, right? So you can come home and live with your family, enjoy them, and raise your kids, and not have to always be in that internal conflict or be drunk all the time, which is the other thing that you get in those situations. Where do you see, you know, when you were talking about poetry and it dissipating and men getting together. And I remember the nineties, um, 
right in that mid nineties, right where Tupac started rising and you know, you had poetry, you had, so, you know, on hip hop in the streets, you had battles, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, all the time guys would go and get on the street and they would battle and see who had the best stuff, like who wrote the best things. And they're like, Oh man, that's good. They go back home and you practice, come back. Like, okay. And you, you would have that. And so I see exactly what you're talking about in the culture. And out of that, you see this rise of amazing music and poetry that gets blessed to America. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you look at, yeah. And, and the thing is, is it, it ends up being like, it, it becomes influential throughout because of the, the different way, the ways that it went into every kind of media. Right. So right. the early, well, the and not early, just that, but the way that it's, it actually borrowed from every type of media too. That was one of the mm-hmm. most unique yeah, it, things about hip hop. It wasn't just like it was hip hop. It was classical. It was jazz. It was it had every other influence right. inside of it. So everybody could kind of relate to it. Well, anyway, I just want to bring that up. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, totally. Well, I mean, like my my favorite stuff, which is not the same thing as saying this is the best stuff, but like low outcome um, from. Uh, oh, the what was um who they had who are you thinking about um blowout comb was was by uh a diggable planets remember diggable planets yeah i'm looking at them right now that real wow, jazzy stuff i love that stuff um and, and you don't look at it and say oh yeah that's the greatest hip-hop ever or anything like that right but that stuff seriously connected with me as a young kid in high school, right? Um, that stuff, that that stuff hit. It what um, because they're they're coming in and saying, you know, it it's poetry. It's not. Um, it was. It, it, it's hard for me. It was always hard for me to try and connect with like the West Coast gangster rap because I'm just a white kid in the suburb of Spokane, Washington, and um, and I had friends that did, but my. I didn't have a lot of conflict at home, right? My friends that really connected with it were the ones that, that didn't get along with their parents. And like, I got along with my parents and we didn't have a lot of conflict. And my friends used to come hang out at my house because there wasn't fighting. There wasn't, you know, it was, they, they were welcome and my mom would feed everybody. And, you know, so, um, so the gangster rap didn't really, I didn't connect with that stuff super well. I loved the beats because I listened to a lot of the, the seventies funk and, parliament and stuff so i liked that but um when diggable planets came along and they've they're positive it's uh it's that the um astrology like they they drew just a lot from astrology for their metaphor systems like i i that i really enjoyed and and then a lot of what would be called like the college scene rap um, which there was a lot of, right? There was a lot of really smart uh, rap in the eighties and the early nineties, yep, but gangster rap just just took over and well completely swallowed everything else up, right? So then rap had to be hard; it had to be you know, all that. So you so you lost a lot of the. It just went underground, right? So that's because um, I think what you saw with gangster rap was the same thing you saw with punk rock. Um, and and kind of rock too, but mainly 
is you saw the reflection of the home. And so in, in gangster rap, it was like, you know, the rebellious side of, and, and a few other things, but the rebellious side of that kind of punk rock generation found a home in, in gangster rap. It was like, it was hard. Yeah. It was gritty. It, well, and, and what you had was like kids raising themselves. And so they created gangs. But that, I mean, you had, you had like gang violence about inner city stuff, East LA, and you hear all about it. But that gang violence was everywhere. Um, like the, the punk rock in the in Southern California had the same sort of thing, right? You break up into gangs and then you you fight. And the difference was it just it didn't get the same uh, response from the police, honestly, um, because mm. you know, all the LA corruption. You did. Um, I mean, so just, you, so it, it didn't hit the it didn't hit the news in the same sort of way. You know, um, you didn't get the riots and stuff. You know, when we talk about gangs and stuff. It, it's really interesting. If if you get a chance, I, when, I don't know when the last time you saw West Side Story. You have to go watch it. It is probably one of the most important films to watch of our generation. I think West Side the Story. The new one or the uh, older one? I, I will say yes. Because, okay. But the older one first because you got to see what they changed about the new one. There's okay. Um, th- I think you can see um, how important stories and the people who tell the stories are and communicate. So West Side Story had homosexuals a part of the music, leading the music, engaging with the music, telling other people's stories for the purpose of getting themselves inside of the narrative, right? Um, and so uh, feminism running through it as well. You know, you don't see it. It's not there. It's not nearly as obvious. If you watch the new one, you can kind of have glimpses of where you see um, them doing this, uh, the social justice movement, a part of it. But what's crazy about West Side Story is that it was 64, I think, is when it came out or something like that. It, yeah. it, it is. It parallels gentrification, social justice movement, displacement of, of people. You have the white boys who grew up there in, you know, in the New York. And uh, and so they're like, man, all these people are coming in and they're going to move us out and they're gentrifying the whole place. And where are we going to be at now? And these are the white boys that are there. You know, like my my dad worked here. My dad, you know, and you got this right. whole culture. That's, and that's in the 60s. It's in the 60s. And now you have people running through the streets saying something something gentrifier i can't remember their, their line but they're they're screaming about these their gentrification this destroying our communities we were here first and they're buying them all up and it's like oh that's the new black anthem that used to be the white anthem that was that was the poor white folks who were saying that exact same thing yeah about the latinos and you know um the the richer upper class white folks moving into their communities and it's like that's nothing new but but what i wanted to bring up was gangs they had gangs then they were a problem then they were right. an issue then it wasn't like there was gangs just started happening in the nineties, but the gangs, even then their style and even some of their music was, you look at it as like, well, that's super acceptable. I don't know how gangster music of the nineties is going to be super acceptable 10 years, even from now, just because the language they use, how they're yeah. engaged. I, I just don't know it. But even then, there's still this kind of connection to um, the community of that gang, you know, the gang cared more about its territory. It's, it was just different, but. Well, I think, I think it's when you have such a breakdown, right. Of where 
you've got these kids that are born into a world that's not integrated. They don't have a place in it. They're looking for something, right? They're looking to be baptized into a community. And the gang comes along and offers, hey, here is here's a family, right? Here's a here's a brotherhood. But even you look at like what what kind of metaphor system did the gangs in the 90s used? They were looking back at Italian mobsters. Yeah, that's right. That right? was they, a high they point. They were trying to they, um or Wu Tang, they're looking back at the at the um kung fu movies of the yeah. 70s and saying this is the metaphor system where you've got villages and communities, traditional villages, traditional communities, old world um community and we're going to recreate that by a force of will by a force of will as a as a gang um it's it is it's growing directly out of the the disintegration of society but they're both looking at old world metaphor systems in order to inform what kind of community they're building Okay, so that because there isn't anything in the modern world, right? That's what, so yeah, but it's not it's not like hey, we're going to create a machine here. This we're going to create a factory. Um, you know the the, the you, you don't get people to join the Foot Clan if you're just creating a factory for producing widgets. In the the Christian Church has done that though too, and so. You know, like when you think about, I mean, if you think about it, just kind of the gang metaphor, you're like, okay, so now then what is, what is it that you are looking back to, to say, let's build that? You know, what, so you look at evangelicalism, what are, what are they looking back to? What are they saying? Oh, I would think that the reform folks are trying to look back to the reformation and say, oh, here's, um, which is really interesting when I think about reform folks looking back to the reformation, because they look back to the reformation and bring all this soteriology from it well kind of but bring none of the civic culture from it like they they bring none of the law they bring none of the civil magistrate they bring none of the other elements of the reform you can't talk about any part of the reformation that was not dealing with government (laughs) all of it was right but it's the entire social order right right yeah it, it grew it was in a different social order altogether and we in and we want to pick out the soteriology and drop it into the present social order and act like we're going to get the same i mean when when you they still thought of charlemagne as a hero in the reformation i think that and mm. we don't have an understanding of the world in which you can make sense of how charlemagne could be a hero he was a king that conquered tribes and gave them the option of death or <laughs> conversion. He was a colonizer. He was a colonizer. He, he was a colonizer. He was right. And, but they were still like, Oh, Char- you know, Charlemagne the great, because they understood the integrated nature of so- the social order still, or they still believed in an integrated social order in which if you're going to be a part, you have to give up certain aspects of your individuality to be a part of society um and but in christianity you get them back greater right right? Uh, 
And that's the, so there's, there's this understanding of the individual and the corporate humanity that still fit together. And so you don't have, um, you, you don't have anything even close to that anywhere that I can think of, maybe outside of some rural vi- village type of life somewhere, maybe, but even then, I mean, you mean in current Christianity right now, like, in current Christianity. Yeah. In, in Western Christianity. Yeah. Western Christianity has, has, um, yeah, no, they've, is that a eschatology problem though? Because if you think, you know, we were talking about this, but if so, if you think that if your eschatology detaches this real world from you and you have to leave it in order to be able to fix it, or you have to, you, there is no fixing it. It is done. It's going down. You don't have, you don't have a, if that is your, I don't even, that's, that's not even, that's nothing reformational thinking at all. Yeah. I, I mean, I think what you have in the what what you had before the you know 19th century um you still had not uh you still had a creation an understanding of creation and a, an understanding of eschatology that were still held together right so what you start what happens is during the secularization movements the eschat- the optimistic eschatology goes with the progressives and the conservatives hold on to creation and fall mm. right so um creation and fall so y- you'll see you see this a lot in the in any sort of conservative resurgence they one of the things they want to talk about a lot is that is that mankind can't be trusted right Mm -hmm. that 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 human nature is can't be trusted and so you don't set up a system of power that you know that uh you always set up every system of power knowing that humans are going to hold the power like the fourth estates yeah right that you know you want the checks and the balances of the of multiple estates all working in unison is the goal right but the progressive but that you rarely hear them say, and here is the source of our hope for society, right? So they always talk about the hopelessness of society. And this is, you know, um, as much as I love a guy like Eric Vogelin and have learned a lot from him, he's very pessimistic, mm. right? He's cyn- cynical about human nature. Um, and you can be cynical about human nature if you've still got a God to be hopeful about, right? If you've got a Christian a Christian humanism, which where God has a purpose for humanity and he is working in humanity in order to bring them to their, to its intended end, right? If you've got God restoring us to our humanity, then you can still be hopeful, even if your hope is not in people, right? It's not in mankind, but the progressives took the hopefulness of the of the of Christian understanding. And at first they just, they said, well, we know that God is going to do this so we can be hopeful, but we don't need to connect it to a, a theology of creation. So you can have a forward facing progressive 
um, oh, understanding of the world without the, the the understanding of the fall of mankind anthropology no anthropology there yeah, without the anthropology so so the eschatology the hopeful eschatology was taken by the progressives and they dropped the basically they dropped anything that make it a, a grace based optimism so um your optimism was in the in collective humanity for example right so democracy is one person might make a mistake but all the people all together will make the right decision right so you've got progressive uh so the 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 progressives got really into democracy for a time then they got really into fascism people will work uh, towards what is their best interest collectively if their options are limited down to the things that we know are best for them, right? So you've got all these different progressive movements um, and and the the most effective one was the communism or socialism, um, which was which is a an understanding that the world is going to move through phases and improve and, uh, because humanity is moving a particular direction. The difference is humanity is moving a particular direction because of a naturalistic metaphysic, right? So you've got Darwinism, you've got Marxism, you've got all the different kinds of progressive um, ideologies yeah. are taking the optimistic eschatology of Christianity and saying, but it's, it's a we let them secular, do that. And secularizing and, and yeah, exactly. Secularizing it. And and we said, oh, secularism is bad. And so we walked away from our optimistic eschatology. And some of it is because we had the church had misplaced it in. Um, so we we'd forgotten that it was a resurrection eschatology, right, that it was a series of. And so when we went through something difficult, like, you know, the 30 years war or um, the or World War One, you know, everybody said, "Well, I guess the I guess our hope was unfounded, right?" But it was it's unfounded if you put it on anything other than the gracious work of God, the continued presence of the Holy Spirit, the uh, pre the Christ centered preaching, um, mm. faithful sacramental worship. You know, the the sorts of things where you say this is where the promises of God are renewed. If you look anywhere but the promises of God. Um, and you're not doing it by faith, and our op our our optimism is hope that comes from faith um, that leads to love, not in in anything else. So you get this separation of eschatology and and creational creational theology, um, and interesting the church holds on to the creational theology. And the fall, but gives up its eschatology. And so it seems like that we're trying to put those back together right now. I I hope so. I think I think that you've got a lot of folks in the church that are recovering eschatology and the, the importance of it and the centrality of it. And well, I, I think I don't think people's eschatology is changing the way that they think it is. So <clears throat> I think their practical eschatology is changing. But I don't think yeah. their theoretic exot ex uh, the, uh, um, eschatology is changing. And what I mean by that is I've seen, oh, man, how long has it been? I've been here nine years. Or 
maybe over the last 15 years, I can't believe I can say that. <laughs> I've seen over the last 15, maybe 20 years, um, people move from a very central anthropology, biblical teaching, exegesis, um, and then to now a social civic order their ethics now need to apply inside of the civil master in the government. <clears throat> it kind of probably happened in the pro-life movement uh, where people were saying, Hey, um, you can't just kill babies. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you can't just, you wait a second. You can't just go around killing folks. That's wrong. Um, and, and so, but I've seen it now where people, even since the pandemic are saying, you know, I don't think, in God's world, the civil magistrate should be able to tell somebody what they should put on their face or not, uh, when they can go outside, what stores they can shop at when, and what they can do with my business. All of a sudden, people's anthropology started applying to the civil magistrate and started to have some sort of outcome. So they're saying, and so if you start saying those kind of things, you're not, your eschatology just shifted because. You're saying the civil magistrate has a responsibility and duty to treat people like human beings made in the image of God. And the only way to do that well is by saying, what is a man? What is he for? And then how do you treat him? Right. Yeah. And so I'm seeing people's eschatology shift by how they understand the duties of a civil magistrate, because then that has a that has an outworking. It doesn't just stay put. Like this is one thing yeah. that's really amazing about the gospel. It doesn't stay put. People t- people right. act like if I preach the gospel, somebody gets saved, they start living like a Christians, and then the world just stays put. That doesn't happen. World, yeah, yeah, it doesn't happen that way. This is why you were. T- I you, think. Go ahead. Oh, and I I I think that the it's it's so impractical that it's only going to be a work of the spirit that makes that sort of change in a practical obsessed people like we are right we are a practice we're obsessed with is it practical or not christian eschatology is impractical because there aren't knobs and levers that you can go control and that that's part of the the blessing of Christian eschatology is the knobs and the levers are not, we don't have access to the knobs and the levers. We have access to faithfulness Uh and, Uh and, um, but it's something only, it's something only the spirit can accomplish. What the, what I think what sort of is happening right now and has happened over the last 30 years is the fundamentalist impulse which is the practical <laughs> impulse in American Christianity that says, what is the lowest possible amount that we have to agree on to be a voting block? I think that that fundamentalist impulse has done a lot of harm. Well, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting because when you said that, I didn't think, are you talking about, Christians? Are you talking about Americans? What is it? American Christians. So that so I think like we you have um mm. like some a guy like Francis Schaefer. I know we've talked about this a little bit, but a guy like Francis Schaefer, he wrote um that a really great book, uh a Christian Manifesto. 
Yeah. I thought I was going to have and, to go buy another book when you said that. <laughs> no, no, that's that's a that great good. book. Um, I think it's probably available in PDFs online because I think it was intended for that kind of purpose. But in there, he that's he he was really one of the very first people to to make a clear clarion, clarion call, ring the bell, and say we got to stop abortion. Right? Mm-hmm. He was very very early on saying, "Wait." You guys, how come nobody can see we got to stop abortion? Right? Only the Catholics um, saw that. Only the Catholics, the Catholic, yeah. Catholics saw it. And, um, he, and so that was a really interesting thing. Is he? So he starts ringing the bell. Well, um, but he has an, an entire Christian worldview, a full cosmological understanding that he's pushing. Like he, he, he was willing to write books that divided – divided people because he thought that was actually how you brought people together, right? He was willing to have conversations about things that people disagreed on. So he's, he wrote a book on infant baptism, for example, um, arguing it for infant baptism um, because he didn't think that having a conversation about something you disagreed on was the sort of thing that caused Christians to split from one another. <laughs> right. How so he said, we're not going to like, actually we can have a conversation about something we disagree on and it'll, draw us closer to one another. And so he was willing to to enter into controversies with brothers in a loving brotherly way that actually drew people towards one another. That's a different understanding though than the people that picked up the the call to to he, they they saw abortion rights and um the rights of the unborn that fight you know that fight as a way to gather Christians to their side, right? So we, what are the things that Christ, what are the minimal things that we need Christians to, what do we need to call for to get the Christians onto our side? And it was protection of marriage. So you, that was the late seventies. You had the protection of marriage act. That's gone. Um, well, that is the, that legally was the art was, um, became part of the legal reasoning on why you can actually change, you can change the definition of marriage because yep. they argued we need to get a legal definition of marriage. <laughs> Everybody knew what a marriage was. So we didn't need a legal definition. I mean, but that um, must've mean uh, it was already slipping though. That means marriage must've been. It hard. was. Yep. Yeah. So it was, start, it was starting to, it was slipping. Um, and so they said, we're going to solve it with this law. Right. And then that it just took, 40 oh, years for somebody to come and say, oh, we solved it with a law. Great. We can unsolve it with a new law. So right? we're about to do the same thing with transgender. One generation. Oh, yeah. No, don't get me started. Maybe you should get me started. But yeah. I mean, but that's exactly, OK, so I'll, I'll let you get through this because I got a couple questions after this. And then, yeah, go ahead. Because um, and then they said abortion rights. Right. Um, we we need to we need to come up with a clear. um platform that says uh, abortion is abortion is not a right uh, and that we need to uh, what they ended up with was limit abortion as much as possible which is not i mean that that's a little like saying what would it look like to um you know well slavery is bad we should um we should only allow slavery in very extreme cases. Or know? how about this? 
We only sell slaves on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, right. not on the Lord's Day. Yeah, we're not going to sell slaves on the Lord's Day anymore, right? It's a that you know that sort of thing. Um, uh, it, so you, um, oh, and it seems like there was one more. Oh, it, and early on, it was then it was prayer in public schools. That was right. the other thing right. that they wanted to protect. Um, but we've already walked away from that one um, as well. So you've got this lowest common denominator conservatism that grows out of of the push early on for a social conscience for christians to regain their social conscience right? that- and, and a, a conscience about what society ought to be like mm. right that um and and you have that you know, the the social conscience conscience was reawakened by the civil rights movement, right? Because the, the church's social conscience had been numbed, but it was reawakened by the by the civil rights movement. Interesting. And they and they said, and then when they said, okay, now what? Right now that we have gotten rid of, um, you know, the the uh, social the so the social uh, boundaries between blacks and whites. Now that we've gotten rid of that, what do we do next? Um, and you have guys like Francis Schaefer that said, well, you know what we do next? We go save babies. Like, let's go save the unborn. And um, and that ended up being co-opted by, by a different worldview within the church. Right. So the, the, so. Um, I think you're right about that. I think you're right about that. And I think that Marcus's film, Babies Are Murdered Here, is the evidence of that and how he looks at how they took a deep dive into the pro-life movement, right? It lost its soul because yeah. of that. It was co-opted from kind of right around that that time. Yeah. Well, it was because it was, uh, um, I mean, so I would say the fundamentalist, the fundamentalist impulse is the secularizing impulse in the church, right? So, um, we, the, the European church was secularized in the 1800s, um, by a different impulse, right? Theirs was the, an intellectualizing impulse. Mm. We, the impulse in America is towards practical, right? We're a, mm-hmm. our philosophy is a practical philosophy. So our secularizing impulse is the does fundamentalist, <laughs> right? Does it work? So <laughs> the fundamentalist work? that, and that's the fundamentalist church. That's the question they ask. Does it work? Right. Is it, what, what's the minimum that I need? Right. So you can't imagine somebody like Dante saying, well, what's the minimum I need to be, to believe, to be a Christian. Right. So, Cause so. they're like, how do we get every possible thing in to an orderly understanding of the greatness of the created world all in line for uh for its for the next worship service so we can get everybody into their spot for the liturgy of the universe right <laughs> such mm-hmm. a diff it's it's a different impulse the the practical nature of the american philosophy what the question was always well does it work or not and the ones who ran with that secularizing impulse were the fundamentalists. So is that why we end up getting sermons like three ways to blank, five mm-hmm. ways to blank? It is that yeah. this is how you, 
So if we get there, we fig- we get there through the grace of God. This is so funny. I was just talking to Neil about this. Some of the warnings to the children of Israel when they get to the promised land is not to forget God, right? Like, don't forget, mm-hmm. don't forget, don't forget. At least when you get there, you wax fat, right? <laughs> right. And, you know? Le- yeah, lest when you arrive in the land, you wax fat. Right. And, 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 yeah. and you think of all these blessings like you got them, like you planted this and you did something for this when really— God gave you this and blessed you with this. Um, and and so it, I've seen like when God blesses us and we get something or something happens where the blessing of God is rained down richly on us, we systematize it. And then we say four ways to get that, four ways to have right. a great marriage, yeah. five ways to raise your kids, 10 things you don't need to, right now. And then what you saw and what you see now that secularized all over Facebook and YouTube the top 10 things you need to know about losing 75 pounds, the four best yeah. ways to boost your social media influence, six ways to make sure you get the girl that you want. Right. Like all of a sudden. And, <laughs> right. and, but I saw it first happening with all the sermons I saw. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and if you think of it like you just if if you just finished coming, walking in the wilderness for 40 years and then you get there and all of a sudden people have shoes that are wearing out. And the previous generation says something like, man, when we used to walk around, our shoes never wore out. You know, here's the ways that you make shoes that don't wear out. You think, well, no, that literally was, <laughs> we're told that was a miracle, right? You're, you're systematizing miraculous events. Right. So church planting, church growth, conversion, mm. you've got these miraculous events that, we and we want to say how do we systematize them the reformation of society how are we going to systematize that but i think it a lot of it goes back to you know the second great awakening how do you systematize a revival as mm-hmm. as it, you know here's the the six ways to start a revival you know we need this is why we need a guy like martin lloyd jones to come in and just slap slap around the revivalists <laughs> And so, he believe, he believes in revival and loves revival and but he's like but you can't make one happen. Yeah, it's a miraculous. So event. I so then I, I want to go back to this. There's man, there's so many things I want to go back to, but I want to hit some of his poetry too because got you sent me four different poems from from uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins, and I don't know what in the world is going on here. But four, I don't know why I needed four for today, but you sent me four. So yeah. <clears throat> I want to go to this, but I, see I if wanna, he gets all four of them. Let's see. But I want to talk. So when you were talking earlier about what happened was we found the lowest common denominator to get everybody together so that we can gather. You didn't say it like this, but I'm going to say it like this so that we can gather power to influence our. To push onto the America, our intentions and our wants um, in civic society. Right. Is that right? And so we, so yep, yeah, it was. Uh, our, it's, Machi, it's Machiavellian. Interesting. But there's no question about whether or not Christians should influence and should mm-hmm. impact society. So make the difference between gathering power to do that versus a, a, a revival. Like, you know what I mean? Or it would just happen. Yeah, like, because yeah. I think, I don't think people would know the difference. I don't think people would know the difference. They would say, oh, look, people are coming together to make sure abortion's illegal. And it's like, you know, 
What's wrong with that? Yeah, I, it's the difference between doing something by faith and by works, right? It's don't it's you need both of those between the you're gonna have to diff- do it. It's the difference between a cosmology that's covenantally bound, where reality is covenantally bound, um, and God is is uh, ever present, is in charge. That the spirit of God is the the wind in the sails of of history and a an understanding where god wound it up like a watch and let it go and we better keep it keep it running in the right way or else it falls apart right so in one of them we're god and in one of them we're not god okay right? so, so but they all look the same they, um, they might look this. You you have you might have two people standing next to each other on a uh, on a path, but if they're walking in different directions, they're not going to be standing next to each other for long, mm. right? So, being next to somebody on the road is not the same thing as being is going the same direction, and uh, and I think that's what that's what happened with the religious right in in the 80s yeah, yeah. with the um is they were actually going a different direction than God's people we came up against one another and a bunch of us jumped off of the bus off of our bus onto their bus because we're on the same pl- spot on the road and said i think this bus is going to get us there better but it was going the other direction well so i the religion i kind of this this is interesting the religious right <sighs> looks and mimics so much of our um here here's a good example um and i, I know there's a, this is not perfect i'm not trying to make it perfect but i can't help but observe the elements of the story here you have donald trump and you have him ask um oh who's a who's a not creflo dollar kenneth copeland to do his opening prayer <clears throat> right oh yeah and, I forgot about yeah, that. Kenneth, so Kenneth Copeland comes up and does his opening prayer, and it's like Kenneth Copeland. That, that's your kind of religious right group, you know that they're all there, and mm-hmm. you know, man, some of the things that he even says there, you're like, I can amen behind him, absolutely. And then you have Ron DeSantis ask Tom Askell to do his opening prayer. Oh, I didn't hear about this. Yeah, when was this? This was just a couple days ago. Um, oh, amazing! Might have been Saturday or something like that. But so Tom Askell gets up there and does his opening prayer for Ron DeSantis. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying now, okay, if I, I would much rather, and this is me thinking, I don't think that this goes this far down. I don't, I don't know yet. I know that I'm not a big Ron DeSantis fan. He scares me. Um, and him and Trump, the kind of competition between the two right now and what people want. If he, Ron DeSantis runs over Trump running, that's not what I'm saying. I am looking at this and saying it is interesting, though, that we have <laughs> this religious right up here with Kenneth Copeland, charismatic, revivalist, all the stuff there and in line with Trump. I mean, all the charismatic folks there. I, I get it. But then you got Tom Askell, who seems to have the ear of Ron DeSantis. I, I, let's just say let's just say in my perspective and looking at this. That if you're asking his man to do your prayer for you, I would believe that he would be able. I would trust Tom Masco if Ron DeSantis got off the boards and say, "Hey, you know what, brother, you're tripping. You need to repent. 
You need to take this to God. You need to right. act right. Yeah. You know, those are two different parallels happening right there. And it's, it's yeah, kind of like, who, who do you want on the, 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 cabinet oh tom ackle right yeah absolutely. drop that dude on yeah. like president's cabinet and all day long i'm praising the lord yeah. yeah and actually even though i don't like trump or ron DeSantis, ultimately what i like is tom askell up against kenneth copeland <laughs> that's what i'm talking yes. about right but, and and so yeah if, if these are both wicked men who are bad kings and you had to, and and the story is well, who's informing them, and who's the prophet is given to them? Right. Do you want the false which, prophet? Yeah. Of which Kenneth prophet? Do you, yes. Yeah. That's and that's the selection that I'm looking at. I was like, listen, Kenneth Copeland is not; he's a false prophet. Tom Askell is a man of God. Right. I want the man of God up. It's not about the guys behind. It's the guy who I'm looking at in front. It's like Tom Askell is going to rent his clothes and call fire down from heaven on this man if he don't <laughs> repent and obey God. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Um, and, well, and that's that's the that's what I think makes this also. This is why you have to say we, we got to do this by faith and not by works. Right. Is because it's. I mean, there are times when things get really clear. And, um, but most of the time you look at it and you say, I don't know. I, I actually can't guarantee which of these is the right, right direction, right, which right. of these is the right person. Right. Um, is would, would another Trump president be or would it be a curse? I, it's hard to, it's hard to say. I, um, because, it's a long term. We've got a long term game, and um, as it says in in Colossians, is all um, are from Christ for Christ to Christ. Yeah, and Christ is towards His people, right? So the 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 um, the point of of the point of history is to undo the works of the devil. That's right. Right. The, that's the point of history. Um. Was it the were the temp were the temptations in the wilderness to Christ were the temptations themselves good? No, did the temptations work towards the undoing of the works of the devil? Yes, absolutely. Right. So we actually don't. Um, we're not the god of this system. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's that's where. Um, the social conscience of the church has often said we don't fit into either party right now. Right. And so sometimes it's been, Hey, we're with this party on that, with that party on this thing. Um, or, Hey, neither of you guys um, are, are nailing this one down here. Let me show you the third way. There's different the the, but the social conscience of the church um, when it's alive and awake um the the it has been incredibly influential for good when the social conscience of the church gets co-opted or the d- decides to jump in um into the power play game uh it's it ceases to disciple the nations and starts looking to to rule the nations which is not the job of the church mm. the job of the church is to disciple the nations disciple the rulers of the nations, but not itself to rule. Boy, you done made a whole um, lot of people mad. 
Um, Who did I make mad? Isn't that pretty straightforward? <laughs> you know, I, I probably I, made everybody mad, right? I don't think people have an establishment of governments. You know, <clears throat> it's I see a I see a huge push right now to. Um, I think. Go ahead. I think I see. I think I see though. Maybe what people would be upset about is the assumption. That, I, so I'm talking about the the church as an ecclesial body. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't have that category, right? So if I say, hey, the church is just Christians wherever they are, that's actually a different cosmology that I'm talking about, right? So you you should want, for example, a, a king that is a converted king that serves the Lord that is being discipled. It's our job to disciple whichever king we're given, right? Whether he's a Christian or not, right? That, But the church does that institutionally in a particular way. And then also there's a non-institutional way that God has often done it. So for example, um, in the, in the conversion of the European Kings, one of the things that would often happen was that some pagan King would marry the third daughter of some, of some other King somewhere. And that daughter would be Christian and would bring, and would have a huge influence on her husband for good. Like Esther. And sometimes the king <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And so so that would be a non-institutional way mm. of bringing the discipleship of the spirit into the life of a king. But then there's also an institutional way where the church is a public institution whose job it is to display Christ's body on you know publicly up on the cross to live in such a way that it's a public institution that continues to be the presence of Christ's public body on the cross Mm. in, in the way of tyranny. But you know what though? Oh, the problem is the problem is (laughs) because by what we were talking about earlier, the problem is you're going to have to say that the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ has implications, massive implications for the other institutions and for how all they the, operate. Yeah. For all the institutions well, in how, the whole world. You have to say How that. could you not, though? Easily. But how could you not say that? Easily. I mean, I know. I, <laughs> but it's only if you've already bought into a secular cosmology, though, okay, so that, let, that make any sense. Okay, so, I, I, right. Yeah, and that's why I'm... So there are, there are a lot of Christians... Oh, Jason, this is killing me. I need more time. I was trying to do a short one today. There are, <laughs> when you were talking earlier about the pro-life movement and the grasp for power be, t- around Christians coming to the lowest common denom- denominator in order to be able to vote or to move or to, to gain power to influence culture, uh, which is really interesting because that's not how we've influenced culture ultimately, right? Um, no. But because you got these one people who are like, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, and then you got these other people who are like, uh, make sure you vote Republican all the way down the thing. That's how we influence yeah. culture, it's, which is really uh, but uh, so are you when when you're talking about this kind of divide, are you saying that you can have people who have the positions right? They're pro-life. They're opposed to the transgender movement. They're they're after marriage. Uh, they love marriage. Biblical marriage is the best way to go. They, they're completely opposed to adultery and fornication. Um, they have all the check marks biblically right. And yet their cosmology is wrong. 
Yeah, the Pharisees, right? So the that oh, was the Pharisees. Snap. Shut up. They, oh, well, think, time out. <laughs> okay. No, I got it. No, it's just it hurts. It's just it hurts. That's all. It burns a little bit. Right. <laughs> Where's the, what's the, what? <laughs> it, I mean, the, did you see that thing that Ligonier sponsored and put together? I can't remember if I ever sent it to you. No. Where you what had sent it to me. You had it was the they um, had. I think it was just the doctrines of the Apostles' Creed, and they did a major. Um, here's here are. It, you know, went out and I can't remember how many people they interviewed, but um, and it was something like 15% could get all the doctrines of the Apostles' Creed identified properly of evangelical Christians, but like 85% could get all the moral questions right. That's Phariseeism, like straight down the line, Phariseeism, where you've, the we have worried about people getting their moral and voting record right more than their understanding of who God is and what the world, what kind of world they live in is and what they're for. Right there. So they got the metaphysics all wrong, but they got the morality right on paper. That doesn't last, right? That's, that's actually that, that was, that's asking for judgment according to Jesus. Or that's the beginning of judgment maybe. So, I, I'm applying this now to all the other uh, parachurch ministries. Maybe some of those. I'm thinking of <laughs> some of the secular movements that, what do you call, so then what would like, um, you can come and sit down over here, Marcus, if you want to. Marcus Pittman just came in the room, everybody. What's up, Marcus? <laughs> Jason said, what's up, Marcus? Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the Daily Wire. It seems like that they have created a big tent moral camp for everybody to fit inside of, mm-hmm. um, even homosexuals. I'm just wondering when it's going to go trans, because as long as you sign up for these, if you can let homosexuals into your moral camp, then there's only a period of time before you start seeing trans people can be there, too. So long as they sign up on, yeah, we don't like the surgeries for young kids, but I'm an adult, right. you know, I can make those decisions, but this is not for everybody. It's basically Dave Rubin, but for trans, right? Like, so if you can do that and be opposed to the left's economic plans and, and their social order per se, and, and just sign then is that a form of Phariseeism too? I mean, cause you still have all the things right on the, well, ec- I just remembered the third, the third point of the conservative, um, movement that got the christians involved it was capitalism capitalism yeah right so yeah it was the opposition to communism um which was a was considered a moral issue because of the importance of uh private property which made it possible to live in a uh gift economy to believe the world was a gift economy and not a zero-sum economy right so uh, so when the church opposed communism, it was opposing it at a cosmological level early on. By the time the opposition to communism comes along in the 80s, in, and they're, we're capitalists, not communists, 
there's no that it was such as it was such a lowest common denominator that it was that they were accepting um you know, the they were accepting you know what we what you might call crony capitalism or laissez-faire capitalism or fascism is another name for it as if it was since it also opposed communism it therefore was good but it's the same cosmological assumptions is all we have now and, fascism i mean everything there the everything the functioning economy right now is a fascist economy uh, in the West. When, so, um, so when you say, man, Jason, you, so when you talk about so, cosmological, um, disagreement with communism, what do you mean by like, Oh, because they had a cosmological, what, how do you, what's the cosmological argument against communism versus the opposed communism because of capitalism? Yeah. So, so that the, that the world is, is, is materialistic and it's zero sum, so it's a zero sum world, meaning if I have something, it it's means you don't. That's right? co- that's that communism, right? That's 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 the that's the metaphysic, the the cosmology underneath communism is right. is it is materialism, and so um, so if I have uh, so if I have money, it's because I took it from somebody else. Right. So now they don't have it. Right. So you don't have an understanding of the the world as a gift from god so that behind it you've got an infinite source mm. um that is perpetually involved with with cre- with creation perpetually meaning there's you're not going to run out oh my um, goodness right so so it's a cosm it's a there's this is climate so change christian capitalism yeah so christian capitalism um was actually the the Christians' defense of capitalism over against communism was a cosmological defense. It, when you read the early books of what's wrong with communism um, by Christians, it was it materialism leads to a particular understanding of your neighbor and a particular understanding of wealth and a particular uh, uh, understanding of the economy of reality. Right. So not so now when we say economy, we just mean how the money moves around. Yeah. But the economy, there's a, the, an economic understanding of reality in that it's not a zero sum game because God is continually involved and he is generous beyond our imagination. So, our, OK, so, so which means when we look at the world, there's always going to be something new that creates um, what they call surprise economy from George Gilder. Mm-hmm. That's a different yeah, exactly. cosmology because you're saying different cosmology because of the person of God, who God is, the way that God has the way that God reveals himself as being infinite, right? Omniscient, omnipresent. There is in a good and kind, our father, right? He wants to bless his mm-hmm. children, right? There is this type of um, continual ongoing blessing in the world that can't ever be, dug up right that, right they yeah. can't that can't doesn't f- run out all of a sudden right and so you don't have so you don't have rivalry as the fundamental relationship between you and your neighbor because there's there always will be plenty and so it's a generosity mm. it's a it's a gift then so it's a gift economy it's a generosity economy that um was what was actually being defended when you said capitalism versus communism, but then 
once it's taken over as a political platform, lowest common denominator it, to enter lowest in. common yeah. denominator, because um, all what, sorts of things. What was the lowest common accepted. denominator? What was? I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, I, I just, I just, this is um, intriguing. It was not communism. So anything that's not so the, communism, you can anything come in. that's not communist, so, communism. So you don't have to have our cosmology just as long as it's not communism. Yeah, exactly. So then that means though that the Christian distinctive isn't God anymore. It isn't Christianity anymore. It's anything that allows you to be not that. Yeah. So right. So and we've seen over and over that this is the destruction of conservatism is that it's in response. Right, that it doesn't actually have a positive vision for it, it doesn't have a social conscience. It has a it doesn't have a cosmology um, anymore. It has no cosmology. A biblical cosmology yeah. anyway. That that changed, you know, I I've been studying um economics. I love Thomas Sowell. I appreciate but ultimately mm-hmm. then when you give up the Christian cosmology, you are only embracing the other side, the yin yang of, of, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a yin yang cosmology. It's the same circle, just the other side of the coin. Right. Right. It's, it, it's thesis, uh, antithesis, synthesis. It's, you're, you are, um, it's enlightenment. It's an enlightenment cosmology, right? It's secularism. And it, it it will swallow everything. Jason, you know, you got me thinking. This is really interesting. So I'm in my head, I'm thinking of like this. I, you know, man, this is so good. If you draw a circle and then you put a line down that circle, and you on the on the left side you write left, and the other side you write right, the circle itself is a different cosmology. And both yes. sides are playing in that cosmology. As a Christian, you need to scribble right through the circle yeah, <laughs> and not play that game because you're still playing the same. You're embracing the cosmology of the other side just on a more conservative perspective. Right. right? Like that's what's going on. That That's what's going on now. But this is, this is what's tough is it, this isn't always those that hasn't always been the options. And, but now we've got, the some of the habits um we don't that we are invisible to us the political habits are invisible to us right so um the and you still go invisible. in you, you you still go in and you vote who's the best candidate like who's the best options and sometimes you know there are times when i've looked at it and not voted i yeah but that's not I the problem written and, but, no, but no, no, no. yeah that's the problem so, isn't them is me it's me right so because the answer, but I mean, the answer isn't retreat. Right. No, no, no. I, I don't just, I don't right. think that it is. Yeah. But if yeah. I, if I, if my cosmology is broken and my understanding of the game is limited to the circle that they've put me into play, then it's not hard to be controlled. Right. And that's exactly what it is. We've been easy to manipulate um, because, and this is how, this this is why things like the pro-life movement can get so messed up and we continue to go along, um, is because we're easy to manipulate because we've got shibboleths and not a cosmology. What's the shibboleths? The shibboleths are the ways that we identify, uh, w- people have identified how we identify what tribe we're in, and then they use them against us. Give me an example. So... Pro, I'm pro-life, right? 
are you pro-life or are you pro-death? Right. Choice. So, well, of course, pro, pro-life, yeah, right? Yeah, pro-choice. Yeah. I'm not pro-choice. I'm, I'm pro-life. I want, I want babies to live. They say, okay, that's where the, we are people too. say, oh, okay, good. All right. Whew. I'm with my people. Um, and that, but then you look into some of the things that they, that pro-life organizations do. And you think, well, no, that was a bad, that was a bad move. That wasn't right. That, mm-hmm. that didn't, you didn't actually accomplish the thing. You say, well, what are you pro-choice now? <laughs> and we're like, no, 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 no. You know, I'm not. And then that's, and that's the end of the argument. Cause they say, wait, are you no longer, um, one of us? Right, 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 right. Are you giving up your shibboleths? So you, right. you, so you only we, have one, um, you only this. It's, here's the circle. You're either left or you're right. You know. Yeah. Okay. 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 Rather than saying, and, and so we do, and and so then we're not of use because we don't have that the the conscience, a, a developed social conscience that says. Society shouldn't be this way. What would it look like to, for what should society look like? Right. We don't, we're not producing people that can imagine the, the future resurrection into the present and then live according to it. Wait, wait, wait. Say that again. We are not people. We're not, we're not people that can imagine the, the resurrection at the end of time, how, where God is leading to it to look like for the works of the devil to be undone. Imagine what that will be like and then imagine it into the present and live according to it, right? Mm. Live by faith. God, at the, um, what will it look like when God raises all things from the dead? And then by faith, live that life into the present, that res- future resurrection into the present. We can't, we don't have the kind of imagination that can do that because we've bought into the cosmo- cosmological assumptions. Um, but, but, the, the spirit still inspires God's people, right? Cause we're not, he hasn't left us to ourselves. He's still right, with right, us. He's right. still doing that. Right. So, and that's what we need is the continued inspiration uh, in the technical, in the technical sense of the word, not like we need more yeah. pieces of the Bible, yeah, yeah. but the um, inspire means to be- breathe into Right, we need the continued breath of the Spirit to breathe into us, to renew us, to um, the way that Adam was brought to life. We, the church, needs to be continually um, reinvigorated, re-inspired by the presence of the Spirit and the act, the the life of the, the life of God in the Spirit who's living with us to transform our imaginations. To say, what should it be like? What would it look? So, um, you know, uh, it, what does it look like to build a society in which every kid that doesn't have a home is adopted without question, without delay? What would that look like? Right. That's that is a that should be a goal of the church. Right. Um, well, that would mean that and, every and, that means that every kid in every home that wasn't adopted would be baptized first. <laughs> right. I mean, it's a, that's a, I think, I think <laughs> I, I think said right. it, but I, I said you did. It. And, and that shouldn't be a problem because we're not lowest common denominator that's Christians. Right. We should right. be able to have conversations about 
the disagreements on theology that draw us towards one another because we're not secularists looking for power. We're brothers and sisters looking for unity. And um, that is... Yeah, well, you have something you want to say about that. You, I saw it. Right? What, did you, what did you swallow? I mean, I've just been on the receiving end of some funny memes, and no, you which made me laugh. Yeah, it yeah. made you laugh. But you, <laughs> you swallow something you wanted to say, and I don't usually see uh, that. I was like, "What did you just swallow?" I, I <laughs> the 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 church is in such a self destructive mode right now. Um, yeah, it's it's hard. I you know we. The um, but I think a good example. I was talking with uh, my pastor during COVID stuff, and he was saying it's been interesting to see as as a church that stayed open to see who ended up linking arms with. He said mm. it's not the people I would have said on paper. Here we go. Here's the people that we're going to end up linking arms with. Yeah, yep. it was a a random assortment of. Baptists, Charismatics, Presbyterians, yep. like this, like random, random assortment of churches. And you say, oh, well, here, here, this is this is what the Spirit does. He draws us towards one another, mm. and we say, oh, I, I guess it's it's us. I guess you and me. Here we go. We're we're working for God together. And um, if that if our unity is so fragile that you can't bring up the differences, then it's not real unity, right? Then it's it's a uh, an ability. It's a power move um, that needs co belligerence. Well, is but that is that we shouldn't settle for that as Christians. We should want unity to the point that we say, "Man, I love, I love our fellowship." Wouldn't it be deeper if we? How? I, I, here's a here's a good example. I have some friends that on the very charismatic end who. Love the Lord, and I love them. I enjoy their I enjoy them a lot. You talking about me? And <laughs> even more charismatic. Than you. And um, I remember we were sitting once, and uh, I said, "You say, oh, this is what we do." And and um, he 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 was saying, "Well, this is what we're going to do this evening at the service," because he was leading the service, and I was um, there as a. Uh, uh, guest for some prayer. I was doing some of the prayer with him. And I said, where does that come from? I said, where did you guys get that particular idea? And he said, oh, and he opened up the scriptures and a passage that I had never thought of as informing what you would do gathered in worship. He pointed to it and he said, well, right here, when they were approaching Jesus in the gospels, this is what they did. I was like, oh, look at that. That's really, you're good. right. Yeah. Right? That's right. really good. Right? Right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and uh, um, when and and but we've but the conversation had gone both directions because we knew there was no there wasn't a threat to the fellowship because we both knew one another well enough to know that we both love the Lord and we were in very different traditions. Um, we could have those conversations. I learned from him. I think that well, I um, I uh, that we did a a huge um, it was a countywide church service. And this gentleman um, was, he was organizing it and he called and he was like, Hey brother, what do you, what do you uh, want to do in the service? And I said, give me the assurance of pardon. And which is what I always ask for. And he said, the what? <laughs> I was like, Oh, perfect. Let's talk about corporate right. confession of sin. And so I, so he was like, that's really interesting. I've never 
come across that. And so I, we opened up Leviticus. We talked about the sacrificial system, corporate confession. And he was like, that's great. Well, how are you going to do it? And I, I said, well, here's what I would do. So he picked up what I said, dropped it into the service. And I came, led it, led the assurance of pardon. And um, the assurance of pardon, I think, is where the imagination of God's people is reformed. So that's why I want the assurance of pardon if I can ever have it. So the you just gonna pass uh, by that, huh? You just gonna pass right by that. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Let's let let people think oh, about that okay. one. Um, the <laughs> and but he knew, and we knew each other well enough that he knew that if I was doing something, that there was a reason for it. That it's not out of habit. It's it's out of conviction. And I knew I know that about him as well. He's a guy that he knows the scriptures, he loves the scriptures, and he's whatever he's going to do, he's going to do it out of conviction. And so we could have those conversations regularly. And I learned a lot from him when um, Aaron went into the hospital in preterm labor. He's the guy I called because prayer. He's the guy that called. You know, he um, he's my the, and he we called and he was like, oh, perfect, we got a prayer meeting because he was almost always in a prayer meeting. Like mm. it was a you know. Um, and he would answer the phone in a prayer meeting because he assumed that it was God sending him something to pray, or pray for if the phone rang. <laughs> like, and so they passed the phone around on speaker and everybody at the prayer meeting prayed for Malachi to not be born at 20 weeks. And he wasn't. He he made it not to full term, but he made it longer than that. Um, and the uh, um, we shouldn't have fellowship that is so fragile yeah. that we can't have conversations about what we disagree about um and i and baptists are good at, at memeing and i love that about them and i want to learn that skill from them and, and hopefully I they'll learn what, something from me I, I see what you did there i see what you did there um so you sent me this is interesting so you know jason we keep talking about cosmology and every time we talk about cosmology i feel like i got it and the way you, you talked about cosmology today in kind of economics, I realize I understand what cosmology is, and yet I that's not it's like it's a presupposition. I don't think about my thinking. But when you talk about cosmology and economics, it made me stop and say, wait a second, the character of God has something to say about the resources that we have and the and what they are and how they yeah. <sighs> whether or not they'll run out and the kind of character, the kind of person that God is that he loves to give gifts to his children and loves to surprise. I mean, part of the reason that we and my family started doing Christmas was because I started understanding something about the character of God that loves to give gifts to his kids so much so that, you know, he gave his son for us best gift ever. Right. I mean, and like, right. and, and, and he's been telling this story that he's going to do this up until this point. And so look at God, our father, I was like, okay, how do I mimic that and tell the story of, of the gospel and be the kind of father on earth as it is in heaven that models gift giving, the joy of, mm -hmm. oh, I'm excited to give you this gift. I want you to enjoy this. Um, but I didn't think about that as it relates to the economy and economics and that kind of cosmology has an effect not just to be anti or opposed to socialism and um, communism, but to actually have a cosmology that says, no, 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 no. God made the world in a particular type of way 
that these things are cancers and a poison to the traditional original intent and impact of God's world. And to try and get myself to think like that on every subject has been tonight. It's going to be election. Right? They're going to go through elections. And, yeah. I, and, and I'm just trying to figure out how do I bring a biblical cosmology, you know, even to that environment? What does that look like? How do I engage that? And how do I fight against this tribalism that looks for the lowest common denominator instead look for some, you know, I'm still trying to work through like, okay, what does that look like in a world where yeah. I know not everybody's going to sign up for being a theonomist, right? I know that I'm, I'm right. fine with that. I'm not opposed to that. I know they're all going to be practically theonomic because they can't help it. <laughs> I mean, it's inescapable, right? It's, it's just, yeah, right. Um, they're Christians. So they're going to be theonomists by default. They don't, they might not claim it, but that's what they're going to be. Just like people who are Arminian, they're going to be Calvinist by default. <laughs> so right. They can't escape. My cosmology informs me about their theology, even though they might not assent to mine. Right. Like, so yeah. that's the nice thing about being right about reality. <laughs> that's right. And yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. But, yeah. Cause I know people get in, in people get um, people, People give me a hard time sometimes about how much I hate communism, but it's not, but it's not because of just a, it, it's because a view of the world in which everybody is a rival of everyone else is evil. Mm. It's a description of hell, right? Um, you know that, and the, what you, mm we don't live in that kind of world, right? We live in a world um, where God is a capitalist. He owns the, the sheep on a thousand hills, right? And that's good news because he, that, that makes generosity possible. And he's so overflowing with generosity that you want him to own all the cattle, right? That that's, and um, mm. that's the kind of Christians that we should want to all be because we're told you who used to steal work hard with your hands yes, so that now you is. can be generous. Right. Yeah. So, so that um, the, the, a cosmology in which there's no root that generosity is not possible is evil. It's, it, it's the worst kind of evil. Right. But if you go around saying God is a capitalist, we have our imaginations have been so formed by that cosmology that we think of monopoly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We think that God is. It made everybody twitch as soon as you heard that. They it were did. Like, Whoa, I know. you can't call God right? a capitalist. You can't call God a capitalist. Right. But he is. But that's, but that's, uh, but it's that most of what we call capitalism now, though, is fascism. I mean, mono, mono, the, a monopoly. It shares the cosmology a, of a communism, right? Because you per a monopoly is something that is purchased from the government, mm. right? I have the rights to um, run this business here because I have purchased my monopoly from the government. That's what monopoly means, um, and it's. But we have actually so bought into, so completely bought into a different cosmology that it doesn't sound like good news. To say God is the one who has, oh, ha, he's the one that has all the private property. Which is why poetry is so important. 
It is. It is. Which is why the first one I sent you was God's grandeur. Yeah. Let's. Do you want to? Do you want to go there? I'll start there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is Gerard Manley Hopkins. God's grandeur. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Why do men then now not wreck his rod? Generations trod, have trod, have trod, and all is smeared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil, and wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things. And though the last lights off the black west went, oh, morning at the brown brink eastwards springs. Because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with ah, bright wings. I just got excited because I saw the Holy Ghost used as an old term. People use the Holy Spirit now. Holy Ghost. Right. So it's so Jared Manley Hopkins uh, was actually a Roman Catholic priest that um, but he he was as the Anglican Church went modernist um, in the 1800s. The, the Anglican Church started buy into a modernist cosmology at the same. This was when you had um, you had people in the Anglican Church. uh start basically arguing for socialism um arguing for uh the the um uh, uh oh man eugenics oh right. yeah so the yeah, eugenics yeah. wait the, the eugenics church start arguing for the, eugenics well the first so you had this really odd time in in the um in england the um where the the first real major like paper about in favor of eugenics and population control was written by an Anglican priest. Um, Yuck. And it, it's really so, but it was because they had gone all in on modernism um, a, alongside and not all the Anglicans had, but they didn't have the ability to go. They didn't have the backbone to go um, discipline some of these guys, right? This the way they should have. Well, Gerard Manley Hopkins young sensitive poet he gets converted he gets saved and looks around and the anglican church is a wasteland um and so he actually joins a monastery a, a roman catholic monastery um and ends up kind of retreating from from the world and writing a lot of poetry uh in but really he's a high school latin teacher <laughs> um and he's and he he uh lives kind of separate from the world and but he writes a lot of really great great poetry and reads an enormous amount um and then studies languages and uh he, and he doesn't publish his poetry during his lifetime um but uh, he tells a good friend hey can you burn my desk when i die and don't look in any of the don't look in any of the drawers because he has 
been hiding his poetry in these drawers and his friend of course immediately goes and opens all the drawers and he finds these stacks of poetry some of it written on the back like on the back of his students papers and uh students tests that he'd finished grading and he'd flip it over and he'd write lines of he'd write down a poem and he um but he didn't think that there was uh he he his poetry was sometimes you know he wrote poetry in in three different languages um ancient anglo-saxon uh medieval latin and english um and, and modern english so and he worked and worked and worked at this understanding of the world that he saw that the world that he saw his culture walking away from it this the cosmology and he investigated what it what is it that is actually the christian understanding of creation world um and this poem the world is charged with the grandeur of god is going through and saying here is what we're walking away from with the modern cosmology mm. a world that that is charged with god's glory and that that when you go and you look at it and you deal with the world at all, with reality at all, it flames out like shining from shook foil. So like a piece of aluminum foil, um, if you shake it in the sun, how the, the light like scatters all over the place. He says, that's what the world is like. Um, and then he says, but it also, the grandeur of God in creation gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Right. So mm. that 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 throughout hit throughout history or th- as creation moves through time, um, you actually see the greatness of God gathered up in a particular place and then dispersed. Right. So something like a sunset where everybody stops. I've, I've seen this happen. You know, you're on the beach in California and suddenly the sun starts to go down. And it's so amazing that everybody who's playing and messing around all of a sudden they stop and they just start to watch mm-hmm. right that you've got this and he says that's the glory of god gathered into a place um he says but he says why do men then now not wreck his rod and wreck is an like a uh, reckon um or the opposite of reckless uh the, the so it's not w-r-e-c-k it's r-e-c-k which comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word means to reckon. Um, he said, instead, generations have trod, have trod, have trod, right, on the rule of, of God. on the, um, And all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil, and wears man's smudge and shares man's smell the soil. Right. So he's saying what we, it, it's instead of, seeing creation and embracing it and enjoying it and using it the way we should instead we we smear ourselves all over it our fallen nature mm. all over it um and pretty soon we it smells like us it smells like our sin it smells like our breaking of the covenant and so then we but then we think that's creation's fault mm. rather than our fault right we misuse it um, and and it starts to because we're and we're made of soil, so it starts to smell like soil, and we think that that's creation's problem than our misuse of it. But then notice what he does with the punctuation: 
the soil has two meanings here. He says the soil is bare now, right? That we have made the world barren with our sin, nor can foot feel being shod. And then we've separated ourselves from our original intention, which is to lord ourselves over it. But he uses the the metaphor of putting shoes on so that we can't feel the, the soil under us, right? So that we've tried to separate ourselves from our job, which is taking dominion mm. and bringing it to its intended end. Um, it, and so we, we, um, you know, he, he, he likes to use this metaphor of trying to separate ourselves from reality, right? So he sees, he's living through the generation where people are being, go- turning into ghosts and are no longer connected to the world. Gnosticism. And he's, yeah, it's Gnosticism, right? That the, the world is getting Gnostic. Um, but then he but then he says and for all this all of our attempts to separate ourselves from it of refusal to take dominion refusal to use it to try and misuse it and for this he says nature is never spent mm. there lives there lives the dearest freshness deep down things right so he says we can't use up nature and mm. run out of it mm. because because the way that God built the world, it's there's a, a a constant refreshing that's going on. Death and within resurrection it. constantly. It's yeah. death and resurrection. But this is also what I'm talking about when I say when I talk about how it's a gift. The the economy of reality is a gift. Reality is a mm. gift uh, economy. It's it's a generosity economy. You don't run out. Mm. You don't have to be rivals fighting over the, all that's left because you're not going to run out. Um, the, uh, and he says, and though the last light off the black West went, right? So he's he's saying Western civilization is, the, the sun is setting on Western civilization because we've turned away from God. Oh, morning at the brown brink eastward springs because mm-hmm. the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with ah bright wings, right? He says, I'd live, I'm living at the end of, of Western civilization. He says, but I'm not giving up hope because the same God that is constantly refreshing creation that built a, a creation that constantly refreshes itself. That same God is bent over the world brooding with a warm breast Right with a loving, with a loving uh, posture towards all that he's made, and with bright wings, right? To that, and the the wings both protect, but they also lift up again, right? So he's going. So it's it's the he, he's combining the metaphor of uh, the the hen that protects that Jesus used the hen that protects. Um, his people yeah. protects protects its hatchlings from a fire, um, and with the the phoenix, um, whose bright wings raise from the dead out of the ashes. Right. So he's, he says he he pulls together all these different metaphors, and he says, "So yeah, creation. We've done our best to try and misuse it and destroy it, but we can't because it has not left it. Right. So." The, the 
the created world is constantly refreshing because the resurrecting God is remaining present in creation all of the time. So you're not going to run out. You don't have to go to war over the, the land, over the food, over you, because it's, because the world is a, is a self-refreshing world as we bring it to its dominion. We've separated ourselves from, from creation. So we start to think that, that, that we, we live in a different kind of world that isn't charged with the grandeur of God, that isn't continually being refreshed by the presence of the Holy Spirit and doesn't isn't going to be raised from the dead by the Spirit's power who is continually present with us. And so we go to war for whatever we think we can get, thinking I have to have it because if they have it, I have less. Right? It's a different view of the cosmos, the kind of place we live in that causes both the, the fascism that that strip mines and destroys and that causes um, the, the communism that puts half the world into gulags saying we're better off without them, right? Both of those things rest on the same sort of cosmology that here Gerard Manley Hopkins says is going to be temporary uh, because the Holy Spirit is continually refreshing his work amongst people and his work amongst the created order. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, man. Actually, it makes you think, it makes you work differently, too. So when you see, you know, it's easy to look at the political landscape and look at America and look at the downfall and see the smear of humanity on Mm -hmm. creation and to say, oh, my goodness. And then you want to run and grasp for things because Mm -hmm. you want to save it. Instead of knowing, it's like, wait a second, the world is built in such a way that reality, the way that God made the world is actually going to win out. Yeah. Stupidity. Yeah. I like how pastor says stupidity long-term isn't sustainable. Um, right. yeah. And so, and, and, but the problem is, is that we act like it is so much because of the smear of man all over creation that we feel like we have to grasp. And it's like, wait, you don't have yeah. to grasp. You really don't like you stay faithful, understand how God made the world. And in time, this is going to refresh and be better, <laughs> right? Right. It, it, the sun will go down over here on one thing, but the beauty of the world and gospel is that whatever God puts in the ground, he raises up better than it was before too, you know? It, it right. makes you, and so it gives you a piece about how you act and it, it makes you think of the mm-hmm. things that are most important. As you were thinking about that, I was thinking about, I got to make sure my kids understand the world's like this so that it's the thing that creates a jolly warrior. Right? right. Exactly. Right. That says, well, yeah, what's the worst that happened? I mean, I lose. And then the war is picked up by somebody else that has been raised for that purpose. Yeah. Nobody, nobody wants to be, maybe himself. I inspire them. Maybe I'm forgotten. And who knows? But, but what's, you know, what's the worst that happens is I go to be with the Lord. Uh, that's, that's the end of all of it. And then, the resurrection at the end of time, it all gets put right. And in the meantime, we get to draw that resurrection into the present. And that, I think, is why mm-hmm. Christians, Christians should be getting into um, startup spaces, um, starting businesses, saying, what would like to serve my neighbor well here in a gift economy, right? Um, I, I Where I don't have to destroy every other business to be the winner, 
right? That that we can actually build up economies um, that that aren't based on rivalry, right? We can build up economies that, and because competition and rivalry aren't the same thing. Competition, um, you can both be pushed to something better, um, right. and that's good. Rivalry, one of you has to lose, right? Um, and a, a Christian understanding of, uh, it, and a, a Christian that says, you know what? I'm actually just really good at managing other people's stuff, and you can embrace that and enjoy it, and and embrace a, the place that God put you. Um, in society, and and you know you can, uh, you can. I, I worked at a gasket factory, and I remember you know um, coming in and saying, "Okay, yesterday I made this many. I bet I can make two sheets more today, right?" Because God has given me the job, and it's it, and um, it's not a zero sum game. Whereas if I make less, I've somehow one over against my boss who pays me the same right <laughs> that's right. the world it is right the kind of it's that the the world is a is a uh is a game of hide and seek and the joy is hidden in the labor you know that's so true it hasn't been a job that i've had where i haven't advanced or grown or been brought up because of and i've been at some of the lowest levels and jobs and work and I loved it because I needed a job and I just worked hard and I loved cleaning the floors and I love the people got a chance to come in on clean floors and they like man if you like cleaning the floor so much why don't you clean the bathrooms like I love cleaning bathrooms the cleanest bathrooms ever you know you like cleaning the bathrooms so much why don't you come uh clean my office clean the office find paper and, and, and every time it's just like I always feel like most of my jobs are like Joseph um uh, you know down in the pit <laughs> And eventually you get up somewhere, you, you yeah, know, you're next right. to the king. You know, it's, it's, and it's, but I've always understood, it's funny as you talk about that, I've always understood that's actually how the world is made. You know, the world is made so that servants become kings, right? Like that's, right. <laughs> that's actually how the world they, is made. And the kings that forget their servants don't stay kings. And don't stay kings. That's exactly right. Yeah. But uh, kings that are good servants that's, that's, stay kings. That's good stuff, man.